2: Can you fly this plane and land it?
3: Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. i'm joe's mom's neighbor doug and i know we're all celebrating because today's the anniversary of the pitney Bowes postage meter first being used in 1920 to talk about how you can communicate more successfully and also without stamps we welcome the author of the bezos blueprint carmine gallo in our headlines mortgage rates are through the roof who's to blame seriously i want names Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Stan, who's trying to figure out how to save for his dream home, even though the construction costs make him want to vomit. And then, I'll go all postal on the trivia. And now, two guys who are going to send you first class to financial freedom, it's Joe and
0: O-J-J-J-J-G. Happy Wednesday to you, stackers. I am Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter. It's the middle of your week, and man, do we have a great show for you today. So sit down, relax, because you made it to the next hour of financial geekery fun. And the original financial geek sitting across the card table from me, shuffling his notes, Mr. OG is...
1: In the game. I'm not shuffling my nose. I'm opening mail from my insurance company because they uh you know, all my insurances are due on the same day. Why does he say it like that? Car insurance, home insurance, insurance, and my insurance. Insurance. Why is he saying
3: so like they uh Is that like pecan versus pecan? I get yelled at in my house for saying cream cheese instead of cream cheese. Cream cheese. Cream it cheese. Sounds like and you- I I mean I my my wife goes, It's horrible. I, say that. I would too. It's like you creamed
0: your cheese. Oh, stop. It's not good. But let's get back to OG's
1: insurance.
0: Anyway, OG, your insurance all due on the same day.
1: Yeah. Several of the policies auto pay, and then apparently one doesn't. So then they send you 400 messages like, your insurance is going to cancel. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's auto paid. I am totally with you. Everything's auto paid except this one thing. It's like, why don't you auto pay that? Uh well it's not set up so set it up that way and they send me like look at all this look at all this mail all this mail to say your car insurance is gonna oh just kidding it didn't stupid
0: hey guess what guys Carmine Gallo's here today Carmine Gallo the same guy that did uh, talk like Ted teaching people to be better speakers and this is the time of year when you're probably much more likely to communicate. More often with more people about more things, holiday time, generally soirees and holiday fun. And as we get back into this routine of hopefully normalcy as uh, COVID uh, continues to wane, you want to be ready to communicate. Carmine Gallo going to help us today. But before that, we're going to dive into the mortgage situation, OG. Talk about fun. That's like... The best.
1: Oh, I'm ready to get started with that.
0: <laughs> oh, let's do it. But before all that, you know what we got to get started with first? I think we should begin by having everybody sit down for a second because we need to talk about this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. You're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Super important there, wasn't it? Uh, Doug is on mute. Sorry. Uh, Was I on mute the whole time? No, I wasn't. Yes.
3: Well, not when we were talking about insurance. You still <sighs> are now. Sadly. I'm not on mute.
1: Can't hear you. Are you talking? What? What? Huh? What'd you say? Oh.
2: <laughs> Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines.
0: Our headline today comes to us from the Wall Street Journal. This is written by Telus Demos. Why mortgage rates are so darn high. The piece begins, it makes sense that mortgage rates are up, but by this much, that requires some explanation, OG. Uh, Freddie Mac's weekly average 30-year fixed rate has cracked 7% for the first time in two decades, a rise just shy of 4 percentage points from the end of last year. By contrast, benchmark 30-year U.S. Treasury yields up around 2.5 points. What this means is that the gap, or the spread in financial lingo, between mortgage rates and treasury yields has ballooned. First of all, let's get the bajillion pound gorilla in the room out of there. It's been two decades, two decades, since we've seen 7%, are you kidding me? No wonder we're all complaining. Yeah, we got a bunch of kids out there that have never seen real interest rates, OG. Yeah,
1: I mean, I remember, I'm sure you do too, Joe, early in your planning career, like refinancing from eight to seven. Right. Going, this is amazing, it's down to seven. You know, seven to six. Now everybody's complaining because it was three a year ago. I remember
0: some people that hadn't refinanced their house since the 80s and still were sitting at a 9% interest rate. And we'd talk about getting them, you know, 6.75 or 7% and going, this
1: is amazing. Look at all the cash flow. That's how how you're going to fund your Roth is refinance your house and you've got cash flow. Boom. Unbelievable. Now it's the other way around. Now you unfund your Roth to buy a house.
0: The spread is wider and this is going to get really nerdy. So put your head on right now. But a lot of this has to do, OG, it turns out, with something called mortgage-backed securities. Banks and the Fed largely are the buyers of these securities, which are not exactly what rates are based on, but a lot of the reason why rates move differently than what the feds actually up to and because there aren't a lot of buyers in that market besides banks and banks have been shoring up their own balance sheets waiting for more recessionary times to come that's why we've seen mortgage rates go up so i guess i guess we can blame the banks but the bigger thing is regardless of who to blame i think the bigger thing is we had a fed move a couple weeks ago and uh, three-quarters of a point raise, and now mortgage rates still acting differently than what the Fed does. Don't base your feelings about your mortgage on what happens with the Fed.
1: Well, it's not a direct correlation, but it's going to rhyme a lot. uh, When the Federal Reserve – I mean, you just have to kind of move upstream. So the Federal Reserve is setting the rate at which they lend money to banks. That's the number that they're saying, hey, if you need to borrow money as a bank, here's how much you can get it from us for. And just like they're borrowing money, then they lend money. They The bank then turns around and lends money at a rate higher than what they borrow it for. There's got to be some, like you said, some spread in there between their borrowing costs and then their, and then their selling costs, basically, kind of that initial piece. And then when you combine that with the fact that as mortgage rates rise, you have to factor in additional things like defaults and that sort of thing. So when you take all of the mortgages together and say, "Okay, I just did a hundred mortgages, and I want to put all these together, and I want to sell them to an investor," that investor is going to evaluate the whole thing and say, "Well, I, you know, these mortgages are paying six percent, but I'm not going to buy it based on six. I want to buy it based on eight or something like that." And so then that's going to drive that secondary rate even higher. So it is a, you know, ultimately a big giant supply and demand game and that's and frankly that's what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. The Federal Reserve is trying to make it so onerous for businesses and for people to borrow money that instead they hold on to their money, which then causes the prices of things to start coming down because there's not as much demand for them and or at least stop accelerating at a higher rate. And then kind of right size everything and go. Okay, we're back to normal now. You know the problem is is that it's too easy to get money. People have too much of it in terms of liquidity, and they're not caring at what price they spend. You know, they just like I don't I don't care how much gas is. I'm just going to buy it. And so then the next person behind you who does care how much gas is is, for lack of a better term, punished because of your indifference.
3: We're like drunken sailors on shore leave right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's winding down for sure. But even the Federal Reserve said a couple of weeks ago, it's not they're not making a dent. They're jacking up interest rates and they're not even they're not even having an impact.
0: And even at this point, at the risk of uh, changing some fairly, I won't say great, but OK, employment numbers. Right. I mean, you jack it up to a certain point. Employment numbers start to get affected. The
1: employment numbers are fantastic. Again, we have to reset what kind of normal full employment is. Uh, full employment is six percent unemployment. That's the healthy amount of people looking for jobs versus people that have them versus people that want to move between jobs and that sort of thing. And and I don't know the number that we're at, but the last one that I remember seeing was the uh, threes and fours. Much better,
0: much much better. So
1: that means that there's too much. You know, <laughs> the employee has too much power in that in that percentage which is good for the employee, but bad for the employer. And, you know, so everything is this big symbiotic relationship. And, you know, you move one lever and it's going to have secondary and tertiary effects down the line. But the biggest thing that we have to avoid at all costs is inflation. The recession is a small drop of penicillin to offset the, the larger pain of of inflation because inflation kills everything. If you do the new retirement calculator tool that you were talking about in the last couple of weeks and you do your financial plan and you say, I want to do it at inflation historical, which is about 3%. And then you say, want oh, now I want to do it at inflation historical plus one. So do four. You will crater your retirement plan because the compounding effect of higher inflation is so detrimental to long-term investment plans. So that's the cancer that we have to get rid of is inflation at whatever cost.
0: It's funny. We showed that at our event a couple of weeks ago, walking through just yeah. mistakes people make with calculators. And Stephen Chen, the creator, said that forgetting inflation is number one. And he showed a difference between just 1% inflation and 4% inflation, where somebody fairly easily makes it, this this hypothetical person, at 1%. And then if you move it up to just 4 just normal inflation... Because you realized, oh, my God, I forgot, norm, quote, normal inflation. They're, they're already hosed. So you, yeah. to your point, we get this hyperinflation stuff, this this crater, and then forget about employment. Who cares about employment? You know.
1: Yeah. In the short run, it's very painful. And in the short run, it's not as dramatic. But the issue, of course, happens you know more and more down the line. And as companies and the government try to offset the inflationary issues with more inflation, right? So what are we reading about? Employers saying, hey, I need to give bigger pay raises because of inflation. The Social Security Administration saying we're increasing Social Security by 9% because of inflation. Some people say, well, that's just keeping up. True. But you just got a big pay raise. So what's the tendencies when you get a big pay raise? Your big pay raise is to consume it. And so now what did you do? You just kind of fed the monster a little bit more, of saying, now I'm going to spend more money because I have more money to spend. Not all the cases, and certainly not all the people can do that, but it's a very sinister financial issue that we just all have to kind of bite the towel and get through it.
0: Uh, I think that's a great explanation of what's going on, but what we do here, I think, OG, is the important part. I think the first thing is, if you have any variable credit line right now, You are way past, way past the time that you needed to clean that up. Like get your debt strategy in order. I think that's probably job one.
1: Yeah, high interest credit card debt is, it reacts very quickly. I think within a day or two of the Fed rate move, Amex and Visa increase their rates. They don't hold off. They get you the next minute as soon as they can uh, because of their spread. It sounds really silly to consider consolidating or refinancing you know, getting a home equity line of credit or something like that. But if you have a boatload of consumer debt, you have a boatload of high interest credit card debt, and you're paying 22%, paying seven is a heck of a lot better than 22. It's not as good as three was 12 months ago, but it's way better than 22. I would say that that's probably the number one thing. You can pay attention to your spending a little bit more. I think that's the second piece, is be aware of where you're spending money and and try to make a decision about you know what's most important. we're getting into the holiday season, and people like to get a little crazy, a lot crazy. no, oh, that's a lot of crazy, it, it, yeah, I tried to increase my personal spending by winning the powerball a couple of weeks ago. it did <laughs> was unsuccessful. You did, didn't get the billion dollars I did not I won four four dollars, oh, which is another way to say I lost ninety six exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: on sale 20% off. I had to buy it.
1: My sister won seven <laughs> out of all those numbers. I really only got four bucks. Yeah. But anyways, if you have the ability to save more, pay attention to where your bank is at relative to interest rates. You know, let's say that you did the right thing and you've got a cash reserve. You've got an emergency fund. You're doing, you're doing all the things, but your money's sitting at bank of America paying 0.1 the heck with them, man. Go find a bank that is paying two and a half or 3% now. Go get yours while you can, because that's the good side of high interest rates is that you get to earn some interest on your cash. So if you have extra cash, find a place to park it that is going to pay you some money.
0: Yeah, there are times to sit still, which is most of the time. I don't feel like this is one of those times. I think it's time to get your debt strategy together, your holiday spending plan together like having this locked down this year specifically I think is a phenomenal thing to be focused on right now by the way this piece gets very nerdy so for our uber nerds who want to know exactly the reasons why in great detail mortgage rates not following at all uh, what the fed's doing uh, over the short run although to OG oh, to your point over longer terms it will come back things will kind of end up moving not in lockstep but closely if you want to know more about that we've got you covered with a link on our show notes page and of course we're going to have a lot more on spending plans debt strategies like we always do in our newsletter the 201 which takes all these conversations we have and brooke miller gives you links to go even deeper on these topics so that you can get your financial planning in order com slash two Oh one to sign up for our free newsletter. Carmine Gallo waiting upstairs. Carmine has been on the show before a man. He brings it last time he was here. He was talking about talking like Ted talking like you're about to give a Ted talk today. He's got a new book out, the Bezos blueprint talking about the same, but when you write, he's of course, wall street journal, bestselling author, internationally popular keynote speaker has uh, been a Harvard instructor Uh, My personal relationship with Carmine is actually a good one as well. He's the first guy to include me in a book. He actually included me, (laughs) contrary to what you guys say, uh, because I know, Doug, you've made this point before. Secrets from the world's best communicators includes stuff about me in there. Come on. (laughs) I know.
3: I know. He was really <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel for content, wasn't he?
1: The, the important thing that I'm curious about is, did he include you on page 338? Or sooner?
0: Oh, you mean like way at the back of the book or at the beginning? Yeah. Oh, yes. Exactly which page?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like in the back?
0: Uh, I'm about halfway done. I'm about or halfway Doug and I
1: tend to find ourselves... <laughs> relegated to in various books
0: i see what you're doing
3: here oh there it is it only took him like a year
1: he didn't even get it
3: we've made that
0: reference how many times and
1: he's i put you idiots in the way back of my book for some reason i'm not sure
0: wow hey you're in the thank yous you made the thank yous of the book i think that's
1: fantastic the part nobody reads 338 no no it's in it's in the actual stuff i think 338 or something like that i up.
0: always start there i always go i'm like <laughs> hmm, who does the author think oh look he thanks og then he thanks doug yeah good stuff anyway did i tell you carmine Gallo's here carmine gallo the amazing <laughs> bring, carmine him down. Gallo. bring him down yeah doug while he's coming down the stairs why don't you uh give us some trivia sir hey there stackers i'm joe's
3: mom's neighbor doug Joe's mom's upstairs pouring a second margarita because on this day in 1920, the Model M postage meter was put into commercial use. I know that you all know the legend, but for all you young ones in the audience, let me review it. The postage meter was the brainchild of inventor Arthur Pitney and industrialist Walter Bose. Well, one thing we haven't ever talked about is the fallout from the postage meter, which the media always sweeps under the rug. You know who wasn't happy about postage meters? Stamp collectors. It looks like someone who collects a stamp is called a, uh, can we say this in polite company? Hey Joe, you sure on this one? All right. A philatelist. That must be from the Latin, meaning to lick. Oh boy. So my question is, just how much did a first class U.S. postage stamp cost in 1920? I'll be back right after I philatel this thank you card to my therapist.
0: Well, last Friday was Veterans Day, and Veterans Day comes every year, but companies rarely thank veterans in a way that's meaningful, and veterans deserve to be thanked in a meaningful way. And at Navy Federal Credit Union every day, is Veterans Day. They thank veterans in a way that's meaningful. They offer resources like the VA Loans Hub and Best Cities After Service. They offer veteran employment assistance partnerships with nonprofits like The Mission Continues. They're a top VA home loan lender. They offer personal finance counseling, and they offer 24-7 member service. They have a growing community of over 1.8 million veterans like you. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash Veterans
3: Hey there, stackers! I'm chronic dry mouth sufferer and number one filetally fanboy, Joe's mom's neighbor Doug. Apparently, the post office is no longer a family friendly place because there could be people in there philadling. They really should black out the windows like that velvet touch just off I 75. Anyway, well, like anything, the cost of filetaling has gone up enough that your significant other may start questioning the cost. A first-class stamp, which remains the only thing I can afford to still go first-class on, is 60 cents. Turns out, no one's filetling for free. So, how much was a first-class stamp in 1920? Two cents. And now, with his two cents on communicating like the best entrepreneurs in the world, Carmine Gallo.
0: And Carmine Gallo back in Mom's Basement. How are you, man?
3: I'm
4: doing great, Joe. Thanks for inviting me back. I know we have a we have a long history together. So, thank you and congratulations on the success of the stacking
0: of the Benjamins. I see the stack just keeps growing. <laughs> it does literally the big old $100 bill behind me. Yes, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I want to start off with something that you told me actually in an email last night that I did not know, which is we have a lot of military members that listen to our show Carmine. And you've done some speaking, I would guess, about communication, effective communication with members of our military. Tell me about that.
4: Oh, it's always an honor and an opportunity. And I learned so much. I have spoken to everyone from Top Guns to Marine Corps fighter pilots to Green Berets in North Carolina. They even took me into the quasi-secretive training facilities where the Green Berets train. I really enjoy Speaking to military groups, especially senior leaders, because in order to get to a senior leadership position at any level of the military, you have to be a very good communicator. The whole idea of a debriefing a mission is to break it apart, to communicate, to communicate simply. So there are a number of things that I've learned from military audiences that I put into my books And I've also noticed that companies like Amazon, which I've spent three years researching, will often use methods and strategies to teach people better communication, more effective writing that started from the military. So the military, senior leadership, you have to be a good communicator and a good writer to reach that level.
0: What was phenomenal to me about your current project about studying Jeff Bezos is that a lot of the things, Carmine, that people would expect of being a, a better communicator, it's exactly the opposite. And I want to get into this in a very specific way, the way you start off in your book, which you say it's 2004, we're at Amazon headquarters, and something big happened in 2004. Can you tell me about this, this particular day? Jeff
4: Bezos sent an email that shocked his leadership team. He said, at our very next meeting, you are no longer allowed to communicate in PowerPoint, and you are to write, a, at that time, a four-page narrative memo, and he was specific. Narrative meaning real sentences and paragraphs, nouns, verbs. He wanted to see ideas pitched in writing because he came to the realization through some of his own research, and anecdotally, that PowerPoint is not the best decision-making tool. That anyone can just put bullet points on a slide, but it doesn't show that you really thought through this idea or this potential project. Think of it from the back end. They call it working backwards. What would the headline be in a real press release, for example, if this product were to make it to the market? How would people use it? You can't really articulate that easily in slides with text and bullet points and so he replaced powerpoint he didn't ban it completely from the company that's a little bit misleading but he did impose this requirement that in order to pitch a new idea you had to come in with the written word so to this day at amazon it's very difficult to rise through the ranks unless you're a good writer and they offer writing classes to everyone, uh, to everyone who wants it so that you can become a better writer. Because writing, as you know, Joe, is, is fundamental. It is foundational to a successful career.
0: You found that Bezos over his career became a better writer, in fact.
4: Yeah, I did this fascinating piece of research, and it was an amazing conclusion that I reached. I, I looked at 50,000 words that Bezos had written in his shareholder letters over more than two decades. You know, everyone on our podcast here knows what a shareholder letter is when a company is public. It's a public letter. Uh, Warren Buffett's probably the most famous writer of shareholder letters. Uh, But Bezos letters, from what I understand, I I talked to a number of people, including the co-founder of Netflix, who told me, point blank, Carmine, I I have his uh, first letter on my desk. I refer to it like once a year because they're so beautifully written. They're very clearly written. So I heard that several times from people who had worked with Bezos. He's a a good writer. Ah, okay. Well, let me look at these shareholder letters. So I analyzed all 50,000 words, and I noticed that from about the second half of the decade. So let's start from about 2000. He started writing them in 97, around 2007. The writing got significantly better in the second half of the decade, so the last maybe 10 letters. And the way you analyze that is putting them through a software program like Grammarly. And what I found is that the grade level that the shareholder letters were written for came down over time from college level to about eighth and ninth grade level. And if you study Grammarly and you study writing and communication, you'll know that the lower the grade level, the better the writing is. It doesn't mean you're dumbing down the content by any means. It means that you are writing in a way that is simpler and easier to understand. Shorter words, simpler sentences, uh, a better flow, active sentences, subject, verb, object. His writing became better over time. Because Jeff Bezos is a learn at all One of the Amazon principles is learn and be curious. He's constantly learning. How do I improve this particular skill? Because writing and communication and public speaking are skills. And
0: like any skill, we can improve. But that's not what people think. We think that if we employ longer sentences and the fact that we're writing college-level stuff, Carmine, makes us a badass Well,
4: let's turn to uh, Nobel Prize-winning behavioral psychologist Daniel Kahneman, who I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with because he was the one who really came up with that list of biases that financial people try to learn and understand. Well, Daniel Kahneman once wrote that, if you want to be thought, credible, and intelligent, do not use a long word when a short word will do. That goes back to Winston Churchill who during the bombing of London in 1940 was being inundated with memos that were far too long. And he said, consumed energy to try to figure out the essential points. So
0: I'm not going to, Hey, hey, Carmine, I'm laughing. I'm laughing as you say this, because I'm just thinking about reading through your book. I'm not going to ask you to recite one today, but you actually list one in your book. I'm, I'm laughing out loud about this British memo that is just ugly. Like I can't even hardly get through it. And you're yes. like, I didn't make this up. This is an actual memo <laughs> at the time where they're using these thousand dollar words. So anyway, back to you, Winston Churchill's like, no, 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 no. Let's get rid of all this crap. No. So
4: Winston Churchill, I mean, one of the greatest speakers in history said short words are best. So memos that use short words, short words are best. So I had to go back to class, Joe, because I was, a little puzzle. What do they mean by short words? How, how, yeah. how do I explain this in a book? What does that mean? So I actually spoke to uh, British grammar experts and, and, and English language experts who said, oh, that goes back to 1066. So I had to go back and take a history lesson and writing lessons. 1066 was the Norman invasion when Latin-based words were introduced into the English language. So if you talk about legalese, legal jargon, those are mostly Latin-based and romance languages. But the original Old English were Saxon-based, Germanic-based. They were short, simple words. Now think about it, Joe. When you want to get an instruction across to people that is clear and urgent you typically go back to short words. So for example, if we're leaving the house, I might tell you to turn off the lights. Those are all single one syllable words. Turn off the lights. I'm not going to ask you, uh, Joe, it is imperative that upon uh, your departure from the premises that you reduce the illumination. No, if I just <laughs> want to get to the point, I'll say, turn off the light, Joe. The same applies to business communication. One of the great communicators, Warren Buffett, famous, the most famous quote, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. How many times have you heard that? It's memorable and it's an idea that fills an entire, entire books can be on that subject. What does that mean? But do you see what he's doing? He's using words like fear and greed, fear and greed. If you look them up, if you look up their, uh, their lineage are old English words from before 1066. So when people, when good communicators want to get a message across clearly and succinctly, go back to the short words. As Churchill said, short words are best.
0: I had not thought about the fact that there's these two different languages inside of our single language until somebody was talking to me about just just animals, right? We've got cow, very simple. We've got bovine, which is oh, a whole, di- mm-hmm. a whole different thing, or veal and lamb. You know, you've got these two t- totally different. Like, where right. the hell do you get these two? And it comes down, Carmine, to what you're talking about. These two different languages going on at the same time, but use the very simple stuff. And I love how you ground this. You ground this in a key component. I feel like we're all trying to prove ourselves as brilliant when we talk, yeah. when we write. We're trying to show other people we're brilliant. And you say that a key component is not to prove how smart you are, but to start with what your audience knows. If you begin with your audience instead of you, you're going to do a much better job communicating. I like to
4: say you're not dumbing down the content, you're outsmarting the competition. When you use simple, short words to talk about complex things, isn't it amazing that uh, I was fascinated by the fact that as Amazon grew larger... Much larger and far more complex because after 2007, Bezos was writing about things like cloud computing and Amazon web services. So as the company grew more complex, his writing grew simpler or his writing shrank, right? <laughs> the words shrank, the sentence length shrank. It became simpler. And that really is a habit, a habit of great communicators, but it takes courage to do this. I recall talking to a, a McKinsey uh, partner. So, you know, the, the giant consulting firm. Sure. And they only take like l- less than, fewer than 1% of their applicants. So it's really hard to be a McKinsey partner uh, or a McKinsey employee. I was talking to one of the partners. You know, it was prior to a speech or a presentation that I had to give to uh, McKinsey. And he said, You have to tell everybody to reduce their PowerPoints. Because these folks come out of business school, they're all MBAs, and they walk into a client's office with a 200-slide uh, PowerPoint. Deck. Oh, God. And so what he suggests, this is the partner speaking, for every 20 slides, reduce it to two. That's hard to do when, you, when you're fresh out of business school because you want to prove that you know it all. But as you advance in leadership – Effective leaders recognize that they have to simplify their language, simplify their message. It's counterintuitive and it takes courage, but you have to understand that if you want to rise to any level of leadership today.
0: I feel like, Carmine, this is definitely an extension of Talk Like Ted, which I'm using right now to get ready for some talks. I'm going back and revisiting this awesome book that you wrote. Where it's not about facts and figures, right? It's about storytelling. Like in, in Talk with Ted, I think that's a big aha that I got from that. Tell stories because we communicate that way. Use short sentences because this will this will build this connection that you talk about in both books. When I was writing uh, the Bezos Blueprint, I I
4: realized one of the things that attracted me to Jeff Bezos in addition to the writing was he is a storyteller, a great storyteller. And when he talks about the Amazon origin story, he breaks it up into a three-act structure, which is very much like a a book or a Hollywood movie. That three-act structure, I believe I also mentioned in TED, but I was able to go take a deeper dive into this new book. All great origin stories have that three-act structure. The three-act structure, which is an easy way to build out a presentation or any conversation, is act one is the setup. What is the state of the world today? Act two is the conflict, uh, the hurdles that you have to overcome to reach your goal, and act three is the resolution. I've worked with a number of wealth managers at some of the major banks around the world. And when they are communicating, the good ones, when they're communicating to their clients about taking a proposed, when they're trying to persuade them to take a financial action of some sort... The best ones will almost intuitively break it up into a three-act structure. Here's where you are today with your finances. Here's the problem with uh, your particular course. And here's the resolution. If you take my advice, here is how we will build your wealth for generations to come. That's a three-act structure. And it goes back to Aristotle. This is ancient. We just have to apply it to modern business communication.
0: It is so wild. It's ancient, yet we forget it all the time. And it's ancient. And it stood out the test of time because it works, right? I mean, yeah. it, it
4: absolutely, totally works. Joe, the brain hasn't changed in millions of years, okay? <laughs> Our technology has. Aristotle, Abraham Lincoln, whoever, great communicators of the past, they didn't have Zoom. They didn't have podcasting. They didn't even have PowerPoint. The technology has changed this the human brain has not so if you understand how the brain works you'll be far more successful
0: i want to hear at the end of our discussion carmine get a little english major nerdy i was an english major in college and you talk about sentence structure and you mentioned this briefly earlier and i really want to go back to it because i think this is a very simple thing that if you grasp this you can get it right talk to me about active versus passive voice because i found this early in your book is a very powerful tool
4: yeah, uh, l- let's go back to English class, which I know triggers some people. I, th- I think that's right, why people right. are afraid. <laughs> They're afraid of writing. <laughs> that's uh,
0: why I waited till the
4: end, by the way, to bring this up. <laughs> I went back to class too, uh, because am I a, a writer? Yeah, well, I guess so. I write books, but how can I talk about writing? I'm not an, an English professor, I'm not an English writing instructor. So it's very intimidating, right? And so I found that in my own. Life right writing is intimidating, and it's supposed to be hard. Every great writer I've talked to said it's really, really hard. I said, let me take a uh, you know first principles look at it and go back to writing class and talk to the writing experts and instructors and understand they all come back to the same themes. So there are very subtle differences in writing instruction, but they all come back to one principal theme, and that theme makes total sense in business, and that's active voice subject, verb, object. The simplest sentence that you can write in the English language is the boy kicked the ball. It's simple and it's really easy to follow. It has a perfect 100 point score in Grammarly. The boy kicked the ball. The boy the subject, kicked is the verb, the ball is the object of the sentence. Not the ball was kicked by the boy. If you take the simplest sentence in the English language and just reverse it into a passive sentence, it becomes just a little more complicated. Now imagine when you actually have complex messages to get out. It's much easier just to stay with the active. Ninety-four percent of Jeff Bezos' shareholder letters, the writing in those letters, are active language. So active is simple, it's concise, it's to the point. Uh, remember the hurricane in Florida, Hurricane Ian? The first headline I saw was, Hurricane Slams Florida. Not, Florida was hit by a hurricane with 150 mile an hour winds. It's just, hurricane is the subject. What did it do? Slams. So the headline writer is choosing a, a an action verb. They're thinking about the verbs they use. It didn't just come across Florida, it slammed the object of the sentence Florida. That's how you make a headline that's tight, simple, to the point. And that delivers 80% of what I need to know. If that's all I know, I know a lot. The details can come later. That's why the active voice, if that's all you learn, is, um, if, if that's all you go back to class for is the active voice, it'll significantly improve your, your writing and all of your communication.
0: It's a great first step in editing yourself before you send out anything. Check for that active voice. And it's really easy to do. The book is the Bezos blueprint master communicator, Carmine Gallo at it again. I-, I love how you taught us how to speak in talk like Ted. And now you're teaching us how to write available everywhere, I assume, but do you have a, you have a website too. And if people want you to come speak to their group, I know you're available for those people as well.
4: Yeah, please do that. I, do mostly keynotes and uh CEO communication coaching. But yes, if you'd like me to speak to your group, please go to CarmineGallo.com and there you'll find a lot of information.
0: And otherwise available where finer books are sold, Carmine. Yes,
4: and and audiobook <laughs> as well that that iVoice. Uh so audiobooks are big for uh people who like podcasts tend to really like audiobooks as well. Audiobooks is a growing category. So the Bezos blueprint
0: is coming out on
4: audio audible Well,
0: and it, and it's funny i said earlier in this discussion that i was reading again talk like ted for a couple of big talks i have coming up i lied about that i'm actually listening to you on my morning walk and then i come right. in and i begin then structuring restructuring and restructuring my talk based on all the goodness you're telling me carmine thanks for hanging out and helping stackers become better communicators i love it so much thank you thank you big thanks to carmine gallo for stopping by You know what? Normally at this juncture, we talk to OG and Doug about uh, what we talked about during the interview, but because it's about writing, Paulette Perhatch, who normally sits over by the hot water heater and listens to us destroy the great work that she does for us.
2: I hold it like like an orphaned monkey holding its fake mother at the hot water bottle covered in fur. How are you? Just for warmth, just to feel something. Uh, I'm great. Yeah. It was fun to, to listen in and hear what they had to say. I've actually written for Amazon. They were one of my clients, which like, if you're a writer who lives in Seattle, it's like, Oh yeah, I've written for Amazon. (laughs) Yeah. You know who I am? Do you know who I am? Yeah. is not like a, do you know who I am? No. Flex. I don't think I think that
0: kind of is. I wrote for Amazon. That's pretty cool.
2: Like every, every artist's dream. (laughs) (laughs) Pulitzer is down here. Amazon up here.
0: I've been in the Walmart catalog. I don't know. <laughs> Do you know the phrase deep discount? I added the word deep. See how the two D's,
2: it. see how there's the D and then the other D. little bit. That's art. That is art. Let's
0: nail a couple of these things home in the limited time that we have. The biggest takeaway for you is somebody who's done this for a long time.
2: I think that trying to sound smart will actually backfire. The big thing about big words is that they distance you from the truth. I love that you can't say S-H-I-T on TV, but I can say defecate because defecate is the Latin removed word, right? So the way that people actually talk is how we experience life. And so when you use words that humans don't really use, we don't really feel it as much as we would when it's a word we hear all the time that we hear every day. And I had a boss who actually I felt did not have the ability to tell the truth because he didn't want to own the truth. And so he used all these big words to kind of talk around what he was actually mm. saying. And I think we've all experienced this. Yeah. I and have. so I used to say to him, don't use any words that you didn't know when you were 19. That's what I told him. And to have this kind of like lingo. And I love like on my team, you know, my, my assistant and I, if one of us says like, we'll circle back, we'll be like, Ooh, sorry. Didn't mean to say that. Like (laughs) we don't say circle back. We don't say ping. We don't say synergize. Like let's use real human words because we're we're, like, I want to have a very human company.
0: I say ping all the time and I can't stop. I can't stop. It's horrible.
2: I, one of my like satire ideas was like, to say like what these words really mean so that people would just have and just have like super gross, weird definitions so that anytime you say it, you're going to have to laugh and feel uncomfortable and that will train you to not do it anymore. So maybe I'll write that for you, Joe.
0: Maybe that's what I did. That's what I need to do. Yeah. That's a takeaway. I I think also I really like what he said about then starting with the receiver in mind, not you in mind, but the receiver in mind.
2: Mm hmm. That's so important. You know, I, and I think that's such a big difference between first drafts and second drafts. I am always, almost always like when I pitch a story, I'll write, I'd love to write a story for you about XYZ. And instead, when I go and edit it, I'm like, your readers would really benefit in X, Y, Z way from reading mm. this piece, right? What does that person want? And even doing their job for them a little bit, right? If you're writing to like a B2B, what is their mission, and how is what you're bringing to them about their mission and not about you? And that's got, that's a huge shift that you've got to think about. And I think if you use short everyday language, it just improves your trust. People are like, this is a real person. I think I love that we are over this hump of like corporate speak and just, you know, the kind of memos that you guys talked about the, you know, the army memos. Yeah. You know, you are transferring a reality that is in your own mind into someone else's mind, and that's a huge challenge. So all these ways that you can do it with those active verbs, you know. And I love one thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, he said active verbs are where it's at. So why would people use passive verbs, right? Mistakes were made. I think you can recognize when someone else is BSing you because, <laughs> you know, when you learn how to not BS and to be trustworthy, you can learn when other people are BSing you and are not trustworthy. So if I come to you and I'm like, Joe, mistakes were made on this podcast instead of instead being like, of Joe, I effed up. I effed up the podcast. You can be like, okay, mm, I see some passive voice here. What's going on? They are distancing themselves from the situation. So active voice. It's like everything is connected, everything's close, passive voice distance and shows like a reception of the action rather than I did the action. It's just fun to be able to look at something like, I love the book Influence. And he talked about that is all about how to influence people to say yes. And he talked about how he himself – found himself being influenced by people he didn't want to be influenced by car salesmen and he's like what are these people doing to me you know and so he learned about a lot about how language influences people and he's like from the side of how to influence others and then how to prevent yourself from being influenced by people you don't want to be influenced by
0: I never thought that active active verbs would convey trustworthiness, but it totally does. It totally, mm-hmm. and smaller words, smaller words mm-hmm. and active makes you, makes you seem more trustworthy. And I, I totally, I don't trust anybody that is completely hundred percent super presented. I just don't like mm-hmm. well presented, wears a great watch, fantastic suit. I never trust those people. I don't trust anybody who uses huge words with me. I don't. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's been there the whole time and I never saw
2: it. It reminds me of Jocko Willing's book, Extreme Ownership, right? Where when you use the active voice, you own what you're talking about. You own your own actions and you're not distancing yourselves. I think it is being shown. It is being, it's being seen as a person who controls the situation, has influence over the situation and wants to talk to someone and not show themselves as above anyone else by trying to use all this fancy language. Um, which is like what I did in eighth grade, you know, writing. I'm like, let me look up the thesaurus and try to sound smart. My teacher was like, what are you doing here? Like totally got (laughs) me, right? Like that was when I learned that lesson. And some people never learn that lesson. So it's like just – it's about being yourself because no one – one of my favorite things I heard someone say about um, how we speak in business usually is why do we pretend to be this way? I was like, yes. Like can we just be humans? And so I think it is that thing where it's like, I'm coming to you as a human, not as this role that I'm playing. And so that is what facilitates the trust.
0: Fabulous. You find more Paulette at powerhousewriters.com, right?
2: Yes. Thank you, sir.
0: Thanks for weighing in on this.
3: Hi, I'm David Hirsch. And when I'm not hosting the Dad to Dad podcast for the Special Fathers Network, which is a dad to dad mentoring program for fathers raising kids with special needs, I'm stacking Benjamins.
0: Hey, let's throw out Haven Lifeline, guys, and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life, Doug, they value, they put what you value first.
3: Well, you know what? I'm uh, Today, what I'm thinking about, what I value are limb saws over chainsaws. Because when you're on a ladder, that branch is going to find you like the ground ball always finds the worst player in the infield.
0: I get to say, as I get sucked into social media the number of fails of trees going the wrong way is yeah. astounding.
3: I mean, a huge obvious rule is you never get on a ladder with a chainsaw. And I had a limb I had to, I had to get rid of. And I mean, it's just basic.
0: They teach it to you in third grade. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> I had, a I, limb feel, that- <laughs> I feel like, I feel like there's like asterisks unless you're in Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> but. But I I, <laughs> I forgot
3: I had a limb saw, actually, and I was I had the chainsaw in my hand and th- like alarms are going off in the back of my head. Don't do this. Don't do this. But I like, I got to I got to get that thing off the garage roof. And so then I spot that saw and I'm like, oh, good. OK, I'll do that. And I, you know, I'm on the opposite side of the tree. Figure the tree is going to protect me a little bit. But limbs are actually more. They usually do weirder stuff than the entire tree does in my experience. So, uh, but I thought, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty safe on this one. Sure enough. As soon as I got that thing to a breaking point, it found a way to come right at me. You know, it wasn't that big. It was only like as big as my upper arm, <laughs> but I, uh, but, uh, it found, a, it wanted to get me. I could tell it had a mind of its own and it was going to find a way to get me off that ladder. I dodged it, but then all the little fingerling branches at the end, they came and just whipped me in my face. Right there at the end. So right now I am valuing at least I didn't have a chainsaw because that was literally the first thing that went through my head was if I had a chainsaw running in my hand as I was trying to dodge out of the way of that thing.
0: He said chainsaw comma. That's the first thing that went through my head. That's (laughs) that's just not good, OG. Which is why Doug should be valuing life insurance, shouldn't he? Absolutely. I thought this is the best,
3: most appropriate story I could come up with. Doug's wife. For Haven
1: Life. She's, she's running out going, sign this
3: application really quickly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, that was right. the other thing. Nobody else was here. I was totally alone doing this. That was the oh, other smart stupid, move. Totally stupid decision.
4: Brilliant.
0: Here was my
3: thinking on that. I had an AirPod in my ear, and I thought, worst case, I can yell, hey, Siri, call Somebody. <laughs>
0: Good. call. Joe. already planning. Yeah. And I'll make the thousand mile trip up there. Oh, yeah. believe it or not, he was dead, officer. I no I try to get there. Uh it's your loved ones in your time and your life insurance policy and no chainsaws while you're in the tree. It's why they may buy quality term life insurance actually simply. Go to Stacky dot com slash Haven Life Now to get your free quote. At Haven Life, they have simplified the application. So before you jump on the ladder with the chainsaw. You can fill that out very quickly. You'll get an instant coverage decision. Price is affordable, all issued by a company that's more than 160 years old, Mass Mutual. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to James. Say hi, James.
5: Call me Ishmael or don't. It doesn't really matter because that's not my name. I think we called me Stan when I called in last time. To kind of jog your memory, last time I asked a question about whether or not to buy a home with some additional debt burden. At any rate, I had several people come out and quote what it would cost to build my dream home on my dream property and almost vomited at the thought of the cost. With that in mind, let's just assume that I'm doing all of the right saving, that I'm saving into my 401k and uh, several other vehicles for my kids and all of that. I'm doing okay in that respect. With those things in mind, I want to know what your thoughts are on building a home in today's market at today's costs. If you were in my spot and you had a home that you were already comfortable in with a low interest rate, but you had a dream property that you wanted to build your dream home on, how would you go about making the decision when to build? How would you go about saving for it? In a market that should be decreasing, home values and building costs should decrease, but investments are going to decrease in value as well. How are you going to save for it with an indeterminate amount of time before you get to build your dream house? I appreciate you guys. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. And thank you, Doug, as well.
0: Wow. Even Doug gets the thanks at the end of that one. Thanks to you, James Ishmael Stan. Uh, whatever. I get the feeling we're not getting uh, an accurate name here, but who cares? Let's call him disgusted OG because as he looks at these uh, prices today, maybe uh, slightly high. What do you think?
1: You can't take it with you, right? At some level, if you're accomplishing all of your financial goals and you're on track for retirement or you're on track for financial dependence and you're sending your kids to school and you're giving money to people that you care about and and also you still have cash flow. And you want to spend money on a house who cares how much it costs you know you don't owe an explanation to anyone for the things that you want you're allowed to have any sort of wants that you want there's no rationalization for everyone else necessary as it relates to the costs associated with it or what i guess is maybe the rising costs or the higher costs today than they might have been six or eight months ago or two years ago I don't know that they get better. I don't know that it flatlines or goes down. I do know that some construction costs like like lumber and that sort of thing is is back to pre-COVID levels in terms of its per foot costs or however they measure it. But also, I'm not sure that uh, construction companies and builders are passing on those savings to people. That just might be how things are these days. And I know that other people have recently quoted out building projects and, and the price per square foot is pretty high. So... I think you just do what makes you happy. And, and if you've got the money and the cash flow and you're accomplishing all of your other goals, then YOLO, do it.
3: I agree with everything you just said, OG, especially the part about the price is probably not coming down. Um, I'm actually going through some of this, you know, these mental calculations right now about buying versus building. And I've, I've found that in the area where I live, uh, semi rural, I can get a lot more house buying than I can building uh, price per square foot. I think that's true. Just about everywhere. Yeah. Price per square foot is lower buying the building. Problem is there's very little inventory right now. So we're just kind of caught in the middle. We talk often about the material prices and why construction costs have gone up so much. Those are probably going to flatten out a little bit in the second half here of, well, we're in the second half of 2022. They flattened a little bit, but to your point, The builders have not passed those savings on, and they probably won't. They're probably not coming down much. Labor is another major issue. Depending on where you live, it's very difficult, always has been in that industry, to get trades. It's always been the challenge in that industry. Uh, But it's even worse now because a lot of those people in that demographic are finding it's not as lucrative (laughs) to work as it is to get money in other ways, which we won't dive into. So that is raising that cost price per square foot. Like In some cases, a third to 50% higher than than buying. So that's going to be his tough challenge is figuring out, can I get the dream home I want for the price I have, for the money I have to spend? Because you're going to get
1: less than buying. Yeah, you're going to have to make some choices for sure.
0: But I do think that um, back to your point, OG, I mean, truly, this is what it's all about is what do you value the most? and go ahead and spend money on the things that you value the most. So that's the first question that I would have for James Ishmael Stan <laughs> is is how much do you value this versus the other things? And if you're going to be okay, then it's I think it's time to to suck it up and and then just enjoy the fruits of your labor. Do it, man. He he never says back
3: to Doug's point. Never says that. It's always back to OG's point.
0: Well, it is. I think you're right on, Doug, that expectations should not be that you're going you're gonna to wait for lower pre- By the way, if you're waiting, you're always going to be waiting. If you're waiting for the computer prices to come down, it isn't going to happen, right? If you're waiting for the next upgrade to the phone before you buy because, oh, it's going to be outdated the second I buy it. Like, how many years have we heard that? Over and over and over. If you're waiting, you're going to wait forever pick your spot and make the purchase. And I love, I love Paula pants take on this. Like I want to make sure that I have enough money that I don't have to go sale shopping. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with sale shopping, but I just want to, I just want to pick the thing that I want when I want it, do all the figuring out about what I value first. So I'm not wasting money and then go buy it. Just go buy it when I want it. Thanks for the question, James Ishmael Stan stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail if you've got a question for the crew as well and can't wait to hear what you decide james that's going to be interesting to hear the next step along the way since we got step one and now step two of james journey coming up man we've got some fun coming up on the community calendar here today we got a packed afternoon and evening here in the basement first of all At 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, we will be on Instagram Live with Adam Carroll. Adam, of course, has the uh, CNBC documentary Broke, Busted, and Disgusted. He also has a, speaking of TED Talks, he has a TED Talk seen by uh, millions of people where he plays Monopoly with his kids with real money. And it's an interesting take on how you make different decisions when you use real money. And today he's talking about an app that he's behind because we often do our fintech work now on Instagram, talking to these cool fintech creators, Adams behind a a product called the mortgage shredder, which gets even more analytical. If you want to pay your mortgage off early, it's even more analytical about the right time to pay stuff. mortgage shredder mortgage shredder isn't that great we should add him on around uh halloween okay. og sunday, you know sunday, sunday. Shredder. Mortgage shredder. <laughs> adam carroll so if you want to see him join us at 5 p.m eastern 2 p.m pacific over on instagram they'll tell you if you're following us on instagram when we go live but at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific we are on youtube And if you would like to get a reminder that we're going to be on YouTube, stackybenjamins.com slash live, we'll send you a reminder a few minutes before I've learned a long time ago, not to trust my memory on a lot of these things, but many of you have asked us to walk through Morningstar. OG, you and I talk about Morningstar all the time about, Hey, go to Morningstar to look for this. It's a reliable third party source to go dive into stuff. A lot of people get tripped up because they almost make you get a user ID sign up for it. And people are like, ah, I don't know that I want to sign up. It's actually not a bad thing to sign up for Morningstar. And they don't make you pay money, even though you may think that you need to pay some money. So we'll walk through that. We'll show you how to evaluate risk. We'll show you how to look at performance. We'll show you uh, how Morningstar can walk you through maybe doing a better job of evaluating what's in your portfolio. That's tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. But if you're not here because you want to get all nerdy with us on our various social media channels, you are here because you're worried about all this recession talk we had earlier and all the things going on in the market lately. OG and his team have put together a free guide that shares eight moves to make in a down market. This guy to help you plan more and panic less no matter what the market does. So head over to stackingbedjamins.com slash guide. That's stackingbedjamins.com slash guide. And you'll get this helpful free guide from OG and his team. So thanks for that, sir. I think that is the community calendar for today. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe first, take some advice
3: from Carmine Gallo. Communicate simply to make the most impact. Second, with the Fed raising rates and mortgage rates through the roof, it's time to figure out your debt strategy and, with the holiday season racing towards us, probably a spending plan as well. But the big lesson? Never ask Joe's mom if she's a philatelist. Ow! Not the frying pan, ma! It's a stamp collector. I figured it out. It's a stamp collector. I'm just asking if you're a stamp collector. Thanks to Carmine Gallo for joining us today. You can find out more about his work, including the Bezos Blueprint, at CarmineGallo.com. We'll also include links in our show notes at StackingBenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine the show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from Joe, me and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial
0: advisor.
5: Did you watch something Joe? I did, but we did a review
0: uh on Monday show. So I was actually flipping through my flipboard, flipping through my flipboard. Say that quickly.
3: Flip lingo is the lingo.
0: And I came across this uh now that we've talked a lot about roaring into the holidays, seven true stories about funny Thanksgiving mishaps from readers digest. So this is humor for 95 year olds. Uh so it's th- those alone are not <laughs> are not as Knee slappers, you'd think they are. But speaking of that, by the way, Cheryl and I once went to Branson, Missouri, and uh, because you know we live, we live maybe five hours away, and so we booked an Airbnb that was on a nice lake. And by the way, the Airbnb was awesome. We also had uh, lunch at this cool. There's a great resort that's owned by Bass Pro Shops. It's right on the lake. It started snowing while we were there, and they sat us right in front of the fireplace. Good big bay windows with snow coming down in the fireplace. That's great. Then we went into Branson to one of these shows (laughs) and, and the thing, the show we went to said hilarious, right? And it said, I fell on the floor laughing and Cheryl and I went and we had to, we had to, to get to our seats. I think we had to go, we had to kind of. Wiggle past, uh, three oxygen machines. And by the way, you think I'm kidding. Uh, I'm not kidding. I had three oxygen machines of this, uh, tour bus full of people that were in there besides us. I felt bad. There were some kids sitting in front of us that were clearly there with their grandparents to get the, uh, stomach busting laughs that this, this show was going to have that we went to. It was, it was, it was chuckle entertaining. I was ha, ha, ha oh, that's oh, yeah,, ha, oh, that's good. But uh, but yeah, you guys got any any Thanksgiving stories back to this. There's a few here that are, um, this woman just had gotten married and she's hosting the entire family for Thanksgiving dinner. And she ran the dishwasher overnight, but it malfunctioned. And on Thanksgiving morning, I discovered my plastic handled flatware had melted in what looked like a display at the Museum of Modern Art. And why you're running your plasticware through the dishwasher is maybe a sign you're slightly overly frugal. Just plastic handles. Yeah. Oh, the plastic handles. She wasn't putting her KFC spork in there. <laughs> That's what I thought she was doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Makes better sense now.
1: <laughs> now I don't have anything to mock. <laughs> <laughs> the,
0: the guy who's who's all excited in his late 20s, and so he's going to make a couple pies. So he makes a magnificent pumpkin pie, he says, with pastry leaves and a blueberry one with a buttery woven lattice. That's the way OG makes his pies, with a buttery woven lattice. And uh,
1: I am the pumpkin pie maker in our house, and we do some pretty killer pumpkin pies. How many
3: cans do you open
1: for those pumpkin pies? I, I don't even know. Lots.
3: Yeah. My question is, are you like taking the pumpkins that you had for Halloween and are you like scraping out the insides and making your own pumpkin filling or are you just grabbing the Libby's? let crazy. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Brooke did a great thing in the 201 one about that. Found a cool site that went through all the things you can do to recycle a ton of your, like get the most out of your pumpkins when you're done with them. And it was amazing between the pumpkin seeds and pumpkin pie. And we recycle
1: make- ours by putting them in the trash.
3: I, I just saw <laughs> the, a thing. The
1: recycle guy's really impressed when yeah. he gets to the recycle bin and it's full of pumpkin guts. <laughs> like yeah. 79 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's like recycling, bro.
3: Speaking of flipboard, Joe, I just saw a thing saying that now we can't even throw our pumpkins like by the side of the road or in the woods because somehow that's a problem. Like this is the most natural thing ever. They're going to decompose pretty nicely. And pretty quickly put well, yeah.
0: them in the woods. That but seems
3: like you're a good thing that we can't even. Do- I don't know. I thought that's a ridiculous headline flip. I've I'm had going.
1: I've had people yell at me for throwing apple cores out the window and I drive down the road. They're like, like, you're littering. I'm like, it's an apple core. It's not litter. It's actually belongs outside. Yeah. Like, this <laughs> is the thing outside. that belongs outside. It's <laughs> going, I'm putting it back. <laughs> home. Like I'm not throwing trash out. It's <laughs> banana peels. I
0: am Johnny Appleseed
1: here. Yes, I am.
0: <laughs> I am planting trees everywhere I go.
1: You know, I'm this generation's Lady Bird Johnson throwing apple cores down the, you know, in 20 years from now, people are going to be like, look at all those apple trees. wonder what that's about. Look at all those Joshua blue trees. Bonnets.
0: <laughs> Joshua.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Joshua trees in the middle of Texas. That would be something. Blue bonnets, apple trees. Lady Bird Johnson gets credit for the blue bonnets. I'm getting credit for the apple trees.
0: You're welcome, America.
1: <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs>